Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We are both certified arborists through the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forests, which include neighborhoods, parks, and other open spaces. We will also cover a myriad of tree topics, including the important role trees play in relationship to the climate crisis. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to be a sponsor of the Planetrillion Trees podcast, please see our website at theplanetrillionreespodcast.com and click on the Sponsors tab. We are proud to announce that the Planetrillion Trees podcast has received a Silver Medal Award for a podcast series through Garden Communicators International. We thank Garden Communicators for the recognition. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Monheim Microphones. Monheim Microphones designs and handcrafts top-tier studio microphones and preamps right here in the United States in Hollywood, California. Their incredible line of innovative microphones and designs are used around the world by everyone from podcasters to top-charting record producers and singers. They recently released their new royalty microphone, Monheim Microphones Unparalleled Excellence, monheimmicrophones.com. This podcast is being recorded on January 20th, 2023. Marissa McDonald is a certified arborist through the International Society of Arboriculture and the Southwest Tree Program Coordinator at Bartram's Gardens in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In her work, she leads a cohort of high school urban foresters and encourages them to explore green industry jobs from arborist to landscape architect and any job in between. Her work also includes community organizing around tree plantings in collaboration with partners at PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. The goal is to increase the current 8% tree coverage rate of Southwest Philadelphia, with a focus on the neighborhood just outside of Bartram's Gardens. Marissa has a passion for landscape design and community planning and incorporates the two into her urban forestry curriculum. Welcome to the Planetrillion Trees podcast, Marissa. We're delighted you could be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You are an exciting person. You always have lots of things going on at Bartram's Gardens. And yes, I wanted to find out if you could tell us about your journey to horticulture and, and your wilderness gardening and arboriculture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you grow up in Philadelphia and did you have an aha moment as a child? Did you have any plants that you liked or were you heavily involved in gardening? Did you have a mentor? All of that. Yeah. So I'll just get into like, yeah, where I'm from. I was born in Philadelphia at Temple University Hospital, but I was raised in Montgomery County, good old Willow Grove. Then I went to uh, high school for South Jersey and then came back to Philly for college. My parents, my mom is from Jamaica, from a family of farmers. And then my dad is actually from Conshohocken. He was raised by his grandparents. And my dad really is my mentor with gardening. 
So he would garden with his grandfather, who was like a, he called it a victory garden. So, you know, he had one of those victory gardens going, who was originally from down south and then moved up here, but he kept growing fruits and flowers. And my dad did that with him as a kid. And then growing up, my dad continued to garden. My brothers were not into it at all. My dad was also like a mixed bag. He was like a jock, like a football player, but also loved gardening. So he did football with my brothers and gardening with me. So that really worked out for me. I loved it. I don't like sports that much. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody Um, does. (laughs) Not everybody does. So I was happy to do the gardening. Also, it was with my parents' background. My mom's in agriculture and my dad went to University of Delaware for agribusiness. So he was involved with farmers and just plants. So that was just kind of my world, both plant people for parents, which really has a great effect on a child, I'll say. But I didn't initially think that I would be the gardener, especially not an arborist. I'm amazed that I'm an arborist today. Originally went to school for French language and culture. I do really love people. Big focus on West African countries and Haiti and the French Caribbean. I was also studying environmental sciences, but the school I went to wasn't like the best school for environmental sciences. So I just kind of just stuck with the French language and culture. Uh, Worked at a really fun French restaurant for a long time, who then the owner kind of taught me about locavore. Again, it came back to plants. So she was big in the locavore movement. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And has like a beautiful garden outside. And then I kind of was like, yeah, you know, I kind of got into just gardening on my own, taking herbalist classes, just practicing, practicing. And then I finally applied to work at Bartram's and I got the job and I was like, oh my God, here we go. And then that's how I've just taken off since then. Yeah, and Bartram's is such a great garden to start at, too. I mean, you know, to start a career and to end a career there, too, because it is the uh, epitome of gardens. It's the first botanic garden in the United States, right? Yes. And, so before it was even a United States, yeah. Right. It, yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, John Bartram was made the king's botanist, which would be very much like the attorney general today because botanists were doctors, considered doctors back then. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know that. You know, botany and and medicine is separated so much, and yet that's where the origins all come from. Yes. Like you mentioned, starting at Bartram's was like an incredible opportunity because it's also, if you haven't been there, it's a space that has a lot of uh, different kinds of gardens. And it was like John Bartram and William Bartram were interested in ecology before ecology was really a term that was being used, which was very, very different. Taking plants and kind of trying to grow them with their like companions that they when they um, found them down south or in Canada or things like that. So it does kind of also boggle my mind that, you know, we weren't talking about ecology a couple hundred years, but we really weren't. We were just picking up plants from places and being like, let's see if this grows. And I think that the relationship of the plants where they're growing and the plants that they're growing with should really be taken into account. I think you noticed that. That is a great journey that you've uh, described, Marissa, in terms of who your parents are and their influence on you. And I, like Eva, I'm very pleased and excited to know that you found a home uh, as an arborist amongst the other hats that you wear at Bartram's Gardens. Talk about Bartram's mission, if you could, and how it evolved from its earliest days to present. You know, when I did a little research on current Bartram's Gardens, I'm just so impressed that it it feels like an epicenter of everything that is innovating for horticulture in the Delaware Valley. 
That's really great to hear. We have a great historian and curator and archaeologist, Joel Fry, and he could give you a great overstory of the whole Bartram's history. But I think in more recent times, the history that Bartram's has been confronting is that the place didn't always feel welcoming to its next door neighbors, to the folks living right there in Southwest. It's sort of just, you know, like a museum, but just not welcoming, not seen as a place for the general public. You had to be into plants or like history to want to go there. And since Maitre Roy, our executive director, has been there, there's been a lot of great changes and it's become really a place that's become for Southwest or just between our partnerships with other Southwest um, organizations. But also we have the Sankofa Farm, which is a spiritually rooted African diaspora farm which connects with the community that's living there. We have a lot of African immigrants in Southwest. So it really makes sense that we have foods and cultures that's reflecting our neighborhood. We also have a really wonderful river program. You know, we have that, we have the school there, but we don't have to pay or even know how to like get on a canoe or a boat or a kayak. And we have the free boating Saturdays, free fishing. So I think that we're trying to make this space like, hey, you know, you, you have this here and it's open for you. Um, even things like events, like we have lots of weddings, of course, but we really try and hold the space open for community where people are having baby showers and graduations and just family events there. And they're from the neighborhood next door. They're from Southwest. So that's been a really big change. And I think it's just made the place just all the better. Marissa, we're on in 85 countries mm -hmm. plus. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Southwest Philly? And yeah, yeah. So it is, I like to describe it, it is Lenny Lenape land, originally called King Sessing, which means a wet meadow. Our neighborhood is called King Sessing. It is in the Southwest area of Philadelphia. It is... Over the river, we have the Schuylkill River that runs through the city. So West Philadelphia kind of gets cut off a little bit from the rest of the city with the river, but it is also really much a part of the neighborhood. Southwest, largely African-American uh, community. We have some African immigrants. We also have a lot of uh, Southeast Asian immigrants. So those were not the people that were coming to the garden or seeing themselves reflected in the spaces at the garden. And now that's not true. And even also, I did pretty much in the farm also grows a lot of Southeast, Southeast Asian food as well. So a nice diverse community. It's, it is also between like a community called Eastwick, which is the older community. And then we also have University City on the other side of it, West Philly. So it's kind of um, on the precipice of development as well. So this is also where my work kind of comes in because this is an area where it's not that expensive to live or rent or buy a home and development is a big thing going on in Philadelphia. Development and gentrification. Mm -hmm. Confounding mm -hmm. situations that we're all facing and mm -hmm. scratching our heads. How do we fix this in a way that suits everybody? Yeah, yeah. You know, what's really interesting that for a long time, Bartram's Gardens was kind of tucked away there, kind of ignored. And again, you were saying that there was no connection with the community. I remember when I was teaching a public horticulture class at Temple, I had some students that were living down in that area and they said they wanted to work and do a project for Bartrams. And one of the students actually came up with the, the current uh, entrance design mm, and nice. it was built and made. And the students seemed to be very enthusiastic about 
working there or connecting there or helping Bartram's Mm -hmm. to put a face on itself to the community. And one of the things I think is really critical is having an institution in a community that is welcoming. You know, you have University City, which is University of Pennsylvania, for those of you who may not know that that's where the university resides. But the fact that if you're not welcoming, what good are you? Yeah. What are you servicing and who are you servicing? And what good are your resources if the people in the community can't utilize them? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that you and your colleagues are doing right now, especially under the direction of Maitri Roy, that you are really galvanizing the community Mm -hmm. into an entity that really knows, as Hal said earlier, that you're like, there's cutting edge stuff going on. You're in the know, the institution that's in the know. Um, That wasn't always the case. And I think for our listeners to know that sometimes it really takes a big push to get an old institution that has been hidden under the rock Mm -hmm. to come out from under the rock. It's like, yeah coaxing a salamander out, you know, and, and letting people hold it in their hands, you know, to, to be able to, and to see what it looks like and to appreciate it for what it is. And I think that that's one of the things that we're so happy about and having you on the podcast and talking about so our listeners can hear more about Bartram's. Yeah. And make it the first place they come to when they come to Philadelphia. Yeah. So when I have tour groups, I always started at Bartram's. It's a, and it's a free public garden, which everyone on staff, we all love that it's a free public garden. And we love working at a free public garden. And still today, I'm always excited because there are people from Philly, even in the neighborhood, who are like, I didn't know this was back here. I didn't know Bartram's was here. And I still get really excited about it because I'm so glad they're discovering it and can enjoy the space and, and figure out what they want. And they're like, oh, we have fishing. You guys have gardening. You have volunteering. You have this and that. So yeah, like coaxing a salamander. I, I do like that because I think even in maybe just in the world of like horticulture, you know, it's just changing how Bar- Bartram is perceived. And I think it's really important. You work closely with the Horticulture Society's uh, Tree Tenders Program, Pennsylvania Horticulture Society. Yes. And you had mentioned when we were putting uh, some of our talking points together, Marissa, that you wanted to address your work with interns. And I think we're all kind of watching the development of a green job workforce. Yeah. And something you said, I think it was in an email that just said, you know, that you really want to be able to address how the interns ultimately will become the stewards of the city, of their neighborhoods, of Southwest Philly, or from wherever, Mm -hmm. from wherever they're growing up for the design and for the maintenance. And of course, all that leads back to standing your ground against developers and unchecked gentrification. So yeah. big complicated question. That's okay. Do your best. <laughs> I know what you meant. Oh, she's uh, awesome. <laughs> I know what you meant. So yeah. So part of my work too. So I'm the Southwest Tree Program Coordinator, which in itself is a little bit, it's very, it's new, but also very different for Bartrams. My work is mainly outside of the garden. I don't work in the garden. I use the garden as a classroom for with the interns, but I work outside in the community. So that means that I have two groups that I work with. I work with the community. So as a community organizer around tree plantings, and then kind of as like a mentor, trainer uh, with high schoolers as like young urban foresters. 
And we're partnered up with PHS. So I use the tree tender trainings to train up the community members and the youth. I do supplemental training with them using the Arborist Study Guide, uh, books, things like that with the interns themselves. But everyone gets the base training as a tree tender. And yeah, I think a little bit with the workforce development, especially around green jobs, I think that sometimes the whole story doesn't get told. And I'm really about exposure. So like as a young person, had my dad not been gardening, had my dad not had his job with like the health department and things like that and the EPA, I might not have known about these green jobs. So besides them planting trees, signing folks up for trees, learning about trees, I also try and have the students get exposed to other careers. So I've had guest teachers come in. Most of them are from... Philadelphia. They come in during our meetings and they do the same thing like what I'm doing. They kind of just say, how did you get here? How did you get to be an arborist? How did you get to be a gardener? How did you get to be a landscape architect? How did you get to run an educational horticulture program at NYBG? Things like that. Because I think that I don't want them to just say, oh, you know, there's just this one avenue. Sometimes the kids are like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm really strong enough or cut out to deal with plantings and things like that. But I do like drawing and I do like design. So I'm saying, let's look at landscape architecture. Let's look at landscape design because you love plants, but there are other ways to be with plants and people. And so I think that they've been really receptive to that because they kind of just thought we're just doing urban forestry. I'm like, you can be an urban forester and an accountant. You can be an urban forester and a teacher. So I like to give them the whole picture. And even city planning, that's another one, a topic that we cover and advocacy and talking to politicians and how do we do that and lobbying. I use trees as the medium, but we can touch so many different sectors of the workforce with just trees. It's pretty amazing. And then my hope is that wherever they go in life, they might do like what I did a little bit roundabout and then come back to trees and plants and advocacy and say, I really did enjoy that. And I want to go back to that and have them be part of that bigger picture of of being the planners, having the ideas, implementing the ideas. Yeah, I just, I I love working with the youth and I want them to see themselves in, in these roles in the future. I want them to see themselves as taking ownership of their neighborhoods and what they want for Southwest they can actually achieve it like themselves. So, you know, when you're saying what you're saying, I was thinking you could be an accountant and on your, in your spare time, you go out and plant trees in the community as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. But as a volunteer, you're, you know, people underestimate what people do as volunteers, because a lot of times your experience in volunteering becomes a forefront when you go for a particular job. Yeah. And people don't think about that. Yeah. And then the community members, they're the ones where they're like, yeah, I never really thought I'd be into trees. And they do the tree tender training and they like it, or they come out for a cleanup. And they're like, I want to do more of this. I want to clean up my neighborhood. And so, yeah, they're all, which volunteers are amazing because they're just like us working 35, 40, 45 hours a week. And then saying, coming out on a Saturday to do a bit more because it's meaningful, especially when it's meaningful, then they're really into it. We know we, People in the gardening world know that how vital volunteers are. But I think also it helps for them to have stake in what they're doing. So I feel like I have that advantage where I'm in Southwest, working with Southwest neighbors, and they're volunteering to better their own community. Well, and I also think, too, that when you work in your community, you get to know your neighbors. You have a better appreciation for where you live and Mm -hmm. what you have, Mm -hmm. uh, the resources that you have in your community. And of course, again, Bartram's going back to Bartram's being an incredible resource for a community like Southwest. 
Yep. I think it's been great too. I've really taken advantage of Bartram's as a space to, um, we have community meetings around, you know, cleanups and trees and plants. And I think that knowing that they have this space, almost like a, like a town center, like a town hall type place. So, um, so that means that there's lots of people coming together to discuss and have conversations, which is especially in the time of pandemic time of COVID and stuff, that's been really difficult. And I think we've had such an advantage to be a public garden where we have meetings sitting on benches under trees and having really meaningful, important conversations about Southwest. And Speaking of resources, uh, so just to the north, northeast of you is University City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got the three, the big three schools, Drexel, Penn, and is it still called University of the Sciences? I feel like... It... The St. Joe's flags are up. It's okay. Both, yeah. yeah, it's okay. part of St. Joe's now. So the tree tenders group there is well-established. It's probably over 20 years old. I was there in the fall on a tree tender-related mission. Actually, that's where I met you, Marissa, mm-hmm. at the school. Mm-hmm. I, I had a great day meeting you and your daughter. But they're well-established. And I'm just wondering, do you ever feel like there's spillover? Do you ever feel like there's a merging? Or do they extend a hand down Bartram's Avenue towards Southwest? So actually, that's been one thing that we've been sort of addressing. So with the formation of my program, the tree program, and partnering with PHS, we've made a new tree tender group in Southwest. We have our own tree tender group. We call it the Southwest Tree Coalition. I have four tree leaders who help run that. And what had happened before was that, you know, UC Green's kind of big and there would be areas in Southwest that maybe a few folks would apply for a tree and they would help and plant them. But it was kind of just like out of their range. And then I mentioned that community Eastwood, which is more Southwest of us, they're kind of making their own group. So the Southwest area, which is kind of in limbo, just like floating with not much folks to cover it. So now me and my team of tree tenders, we cover this area and then also kind of like managing those older plantings that took place. So it should be actually a little bit easier for UC Green, for us, because now we have like territory, like lines. But the thing is that it's so helpful to have UC Green, a well-established tree tender group, because I have them as a reference to be like that here in West is what we're just also doing here in Southwest. So having the reference point of UC Green is major. Yeah. I think that's great to have a mirror organization and having all these different organizations springing up to help the communities that they're in makes it stronger. And I think, Hal, don't they sometimes get together? I know up here we get together outside the city to work as groups, different teams get together from different tree tenders groups for trainings and for other things. Camaraderie, yeah, Yeah. team building. Uh, I think the the last big one was in... Another one of your historic sites, Marissa, up the river at uh, the Woodlands. Mm, yeah, yeah. We, me and the uh, me and my interns were there, and they got their official tree tender cards. So, yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, and just as an example of where a neighborhood can go, the um, East Pashyunk neighbors on the other side of the river from you in South Philly got themselves designated as an arboretum, as an urban arboretum. Mm-hmm. Solely yeah. based on their street tree collection. Wow. Which is that's exciting. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the very first communities in the country that's been designated as an arboretum, you know, wow. as, a, as actually a community, like a public space. 
in a, in a regular neighborhood as a, as an arboretum. It's not very common that that happens, but it's also shows the potential of what communities can do when, as Hal likes to say, boots on the ground mm-hmm. and the people are educated in that they can actually raise the level of their community by becoming an arboretum. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned Eastwick. Again, for context, the Eastwick neighborhood is routinely flooded out Yeah, when we get the, the heavy rains. And I think that has also something to do with the Delaware River and the Schuylkill River. Does Bartrams take on a lot of water? after heavy weather events or? No, we can't say it. Um, remember we had that terrible rain on, in September of, was it 21? And went to the garden to see how things were. And it really was okay. It was fine. That's great. But even with Eastwick, but there are parts of Southwest that deal with like the water table and flooding and things like that. So not as bad as Eastwick for sure. Yeah. But we do have to deal with some flooding in Southwest. Well, isn't Eastwick down by John Hines Wildlife Refuge, National refuge, refuge, refuge yeah. right? And and I think those communities that are sitting on those edges, like we're seeing in California, like we're seeing in other places around the nation, where you're just a little lower, you you get inundated. Inundated, and also if I can lead into the part about design and city planning, please, yes, is that these neighborhoods were set up kind of by design, and marginalized communities were put in the least desirable neighborhoods and then are left to deal with the consequences of that. So I like the idea of designing better systems, designing our ways out of this, rethinking cities, rethinking how we plan so that things are more equitable. You know, Philadelphia used to be a very different city where we had a lot of people, we had either folks that were just business or had a lot of money and then folks that worked in like the factory communities. And you can see in Southwest, there was a lot of industry in in that neighborhood. Oh, yes. So a lot of those neighborhoods, you're one working in unhealthy conditions and then you go to your home and you have no clean air, water problems. The water in Southwest still doesn't taste right, you know. So I think before we used to use that term environmental racism, and I I haven't heard that in a long time, but it's more so we see that it's like design inequity, city planning inequity, where folks are being pushed to these certain areas. And then that's, that's just it. Now we're understanding that. And part of my work and why I guess I have this job is that we're trying to increase tree canopy in Southwest Philadelphia, dealing with heat island effect, dealing with stormwater issues, also trying to plant up, we're right along, along the Schuylkill, so trying to plant up better for the health of the Schuylkill River as well, all of that in relation. So Southwest has a lot of challenges up against it just to get trees planted, some of its infrastructure. For folks not familiar with Philadelphia, I'm sure this is many American cities but, you know, sometimes we don't have proper sidewalks even for folks to get trees planted. So they need the trees, but we don't even have the infrastructure there for them to have the trees. So it's a lot of problem solving, which I love to do. Uh, that we, Then we just get front yard trees and things like that. But just trying to work with what we have a little bit can be a bit tiresome. So I try and have my students be like, how could we reimagine this community, this neighborhood without displacing who's already living there? How could we reimagine this so that it's more comfortable and a healthier uh, neighborhood? The design piece is fascinating and probably a topic for another show. I'm with you. I, I sometimes feel like I'll look at a city block. I'm closer to North Philly than Southwest. 
and just think, how can we scale up the amount of nature Mm -hmm. and the amount of green into this block? Tree Tenders, with its mission of training and raising a huge movement of citizen arborists, is doing the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. But I do, in some dream world, perhaps, or fantasy world, think about what it would be like if more resources were devoted so that rather than three red buds getting planted on one block, which is great, but wouldn't it be great to do the continuous tree pits and put in the mid-level shrubs and the ground Mm -hmm. cover and the larger rock aggregate so that stormwater is being grabbed. I mean, I, I'm sure there's other people thinking about this. And like I say, my hope is that in some way it gets scaled up so that projects are really maxed out or that a city block is really maxed out with not instant shade mm-hmm. and canopy cover, but maybe something that's attainable in three to five years. Yeah. You know, I, with what, what you're saying, and wouldn't it be great if a city planner partnered with you, Marissa, like a parallel job mm-hmm. that worked with you and heard what people want? And I know that they do charrettes and all that because mm-hmm. I've been involved with all that at the university level. But I'm thinking, you know, we have tree people on the scene, but what about designers? Why aren't they part of this cadre of people that are working out in the community? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a a big space. It could be a little space that they come and work with. So that's kind of what I'm just already doing on my own. So Mm -hmm. like I'm obsessed with design already and been working with and working and training as landscape designer. But I'm really interested in the in-between spaces, the things that you see between your A and B to work, your bus stop, the little strips on Lindbergh, the little triangle cutouts that have just trash and nothing in them. I am obsessed with those little pocket parks that could be planted up with trees and shrubs and herbaceous, just like you're mentioning. I do know that like with the city, I'm sure if I plant up an area, it might be like, hey, this is too messy. We can't deal with this. (laughs) I said, well, you don't have to deal with it. We'll just deal with it. I have community volunteers. I have high school interns because those are also lessons for them as well, like taking a little triangle that's filled with trash and weeds and doing the steps to make it an actual garden. So like that's one of our products that we've been working on. We'll go back to the spring and reweed and remulch and add more plants. Yes, inspired by my fabulous teacher, Eva. Um, so so I'm like kind of just already doing that to saying like, hey, like this is a little, like we had a cleanup day on MLK Day. I can't just leave it. You know, I have to go back. There's a bunch of paper mulberries in there. Want to cover it, load it up with mulch. But the community's like, can we please plant something else in here? Can we please figure out something? And then, you know, community volunteers are like, and then we'll help maintain it. It's not the spaces aren't so big that they can't be like worked on on a weekend with like a team of like 10 volunteers. It's not overwhelming for the community. I think that's important to understand that folks' capacity, what you have the capacity for, and not saying, oh, we're going to do 20 projects in Southwest in one year. Let's just do like one or two at a time and build it up and then that'll continue. So while I love planting the trees, I'm also thinking about the other layers and the other spaces because it affects you psychologically when you walk out your door and you just see like trash or little lots that are just weeds and just untouched and unloved. And it, it, it tells you something about your community. You know, it's just like how we want to look nice when we leave the house. You want your, your outside to be looking nice as well. I think you're right. Absolutely. 
you're, again, referencing the educational institutions uh, next neighborhood over and the work of Dr. Uh, Eugenia South. And you mentioned, you know, walking out your door, what are the first things you see? Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a bare sidewalk with trash blowing down the street and a dead street tree? Or are you seeing a piece of lawn, an overwintering rose, a flourishing street tree? We don't know the depth of what that means for a human psychologically. I think we do know. I, I, I mean, I'm saying, know. yeah, the data is starting <laughs> to show it up. And I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg there. Well, and the data the data hasn't, I mean, when we talk about data and all the data that's been collected over the years, it's really more recently since the 1980s that we're starting to see the first connection between mental health and green. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do, uh, it was a Dr. Ulrich who, who did it and then Kaplan and Kaplan who were uh, adamant about it. And, you know, you're right, Marissa, that if you can have a group of 10 people and tackle an island uh, and finish it on one weekend and people drive by it and say, I helped do that. Mm-hmm. That is ownership. And once you have ownership within the community, you can't take that ownership away. Yep. And that is when you're making huge inroads for the people who live there. You know, I can't say that enough because I know that in our own community, when we were leading our community in in greening, one of the most urban deserts outside the city. Mm -hmm. And to get kids to do pruning on a weekend with their parents, it was like, I helped put that tree in. I helped prune that tree. I helped whatever it is, that's ownership. Yep. And you're creating that model for the people who live in Southwest. Yeah. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting to get, because also too, a lot of folks have no experience with plants, trees, anything like that. And I also get so excited just to have those conversations with them as well. Again, exposure, exposure, you know, from young to old, I think it's really important. And I think the other thing that we're all challenged with when we're working with young people, I'm remembering last spring at the high school of the future in uh, off Girardi Avenue, you're also asking kids to put down their phones and step away from the virtual world. And that is a whole nother layer of frustration. <laughs> That's a layer, but I will say I had um, one of my current interns was like, so I was like, so why do you want to like become like an urban forester and learn about this? And he's like, I want to be off my phone. I want to play oh, less video games. That's beautiful. Whoa. Yeah. And so he get tested it out and he's like, oh, you know, I don't know how much I like the dirt stuff and being dirty at the end of the day. And I was like, in the winter, we're going to just do a design project. And I was, he's like, what's that? I'm like, we'll play around with Photoshop. We'll play around with Rhino. You'll get to draw. And he was like, that sounds cool. So I think that like the other part of my program is that I have to have it like multidisciplinary. I have to have like a lot of art focus, science focus, hands-on because they all kind of are drawn to different things. I have a student who wants to be a nurse. She loves talking about the health benefits of planting trees. If you talk to her about trees, that's the first thing that she'll talk about. And that really excites her. So I try and like have to cover all of the bases, which also helps me to learn more about what the benefits of trees are. So it's never ending. But I think that with connecting with youth, sometimes it can't be just what we think is important about the trees. It can be what they're drawn to. And so that's really worked. Yeah. And I think your your background, your diverse background, your parents, who they are, what they've done, what you've done with them is all part of 
your experience or experiential learning Mm -hmm. that really translates well to children who are learning about trees as well. I know that's Mm -hmm. how I got involved. And it was the same kind of thing where you, you know, get the kids involved and you have your own children involved. And I know Mm -hmm. you have your own children involved. Yeah. Because I've seen your daughter in action. (laughs) Um, And she is amazing at at a young age. I mean, she can weed. She knows she can weed. Very well. She can read and she, <laughs> honest to goodness, I've never seen anything like it, but that's a tribute to you. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to what you know and how you lead is, is critical for, um, for the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The classroom situation, do you bring the kids into Bartram's? Is that where you're doing your classroom work? So Bartram's is like the home base, especially for this winter time as it's cooler. We'll be on site doing the design work. Uh, we'll also, there's an orchard, so they get to do orchard pruning in the wintertime. That's, you know, our classroom is like doing things on site. In the garden, we don't like prune as much and things like that in the garden. But then otherwise we meet on site and then we go out in the community. So with the design piece, though, are you using computers at that point? Photoshop um, or are the kids doing that on their own? Well, so I have a great co-teacher with me for the wintertime. I asked him to help co-teach. I have Ari Miller, who is the Hinge Collective. Yeah. They did the the Philly Tree Plan. So he's going to be the co-teacher. And we're really just giving them like an introduction to landscape design. So I'll be doing the class about like uh, lines and line ways and have them doing a tracing and introductory stuff. And then near the end, they'll get to play around with Photoshop, doing like layers, like taking right. a picture of a space and bringing down the gradient and putting down what they'd like over it. And then also I'm going to look into Rhino, see if we can't get into that. And then he'll be done co-teaching with me at the end of February. And then in May, they'll present their designs to the community. I'll send you guys an invite. Anyone who's touched part of our program. So basically we'll have like a little display in May. And so in between that time, they can keep working on their projects with the Rhino and Photoshop, but we're going to like do an intro. So um, that too, I think is a big thing, like the software and the technology, GIS, Photoshop, Rhino, uh, any 3D modeling. Um, Exposure to that stuff is really cool. I wish I had that in high school. So that's why I'm having them, that for them. So. That's awesome. It's fabulous. Urban forestry and restorative justice, they're so linked these Mm -hmm. days, you know, and sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming because there's so many moving parts. One thing I did want to note is that with working with the community, I've learned so much. And one takeaway that I share with folks, and I think it's been really helpful, is that sometimes we can take these terms and redefine them in the terms of the community. So. Part of the tree program is also dealing with like a lot of like community cleanups because folks don't really want to put in trees when there's already like a whole mess on the ground. They'd like to see that there's like some effort going into the general landscape first. And so when we're talking with some community leaders, we talked about the terms of like uh, sustainability. And what does that mean to you? And sustainability really means like having a home that's healthy and safe that I can live in for generations and a community that my kids can grow up and then my grandkids can grow up in. So sustainability, we might think of it as one way, but for that community, when you said sustainability, it meant for future generations to be prosperous in their home. That's just one example. And so when I use those terms, I kind of share it out in the community's terms because again, coming from understanding of the green words and things like that, 
it doesn't really always translate or seems like it can be helpful to the community. So it's really about having conversations, environmental justice, even things like that. It's like, you know, really uh, dealing with the industry in Southwest that is just, you know, we have a lot of uh, chop shops and scrap car scraps and things like that. Right. So they're dealing with a lot of automotive fluids and mess like that. That is a major concern yep. for the community. So for them, justice for them is, yes, you can plant trees, but also we want a clean community. We want a clean and healthy. We don't want to be subjected to trash. Health. Health also, when we talk about health, we'll talk about the effects of physical health, like less asthma, less kind of chronic diseases, but also like mental health, psychologically, how you feel when you're leaving out your door, that's really important to them. Or societally, that neighbors are respectful to each other and there's less violence and crime. So not being, you know, shot on your block is very much directly directly related to your health. So that makes sense when you're having a conversation. You're like, what does health mean to you and your community? So I think that sometimes we can just look at those terms and not make them broad. We should think about how they are relating to the community that you're working in. Oh, so actually you want to ask the community how do they see themselves? Yes. And how do they see themselves acting within their community to make it better? Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking when you were saying, you know, put down your phones, I was thinking, put down your guns. Uh, Because, you know, if you can get young adults involved in a task that is beyond who they are Mm -hmm. and beyond community, it's much more global if you are doing a design, you have a whole transformation of a group of people. Yeah. They don't just see themselves in one space. They see themselves in lots of different spaces. Yeah. And I think that that's important. That's really critical. And to add to that, my youth were very, um, you know, there's statistics with tree plantings and reduction in violence and gun violence. And that's majorly important for them. It's not, law. they're not, not feeling the effects of the crime in Philadelphia, and it's stressful for everyone at all ages. So It is. I, I think we're a traumatized city. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't think the populace understands trauma to the depth of how it affects our day-to-day outlook. Yeah, it really especially does. Youth. Especially the youth. Especially the youth, who yeah. all know someone who has died to gun violence. Right. Well, uh, let's try to end it on an up note. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite tree? Oh, uh, I love our native magnolias. I love, yeah, so all of the native magnolias. They are my favorite. Southern magnolia, sweet bay magnolia, paramidata. I love them, all of them. And so I think we had some event at Bartram's and I'll give like little quick tours. And it was like the summertime or warm. So I gave a tour of the Magnolia because people don't even know that we have like a really nice Magnolia co- collection at Bartram's. So you should check it out. But I just love them. I love those. I love their flowers. Um, I love big leaves. I love them. Also, they're like like ancient. So that's great. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen Southern Magnolia working okay as a street tree. So I'm very interested in yeah. more Southern Magnolias. So there's a section of, of Southwest that you guys may have heard of, and now it's called it's like Little Africa. Right. And there are like some things where I think of like design, I'm like Southern Magnolias would be so great just down like Woodland Avenue here and would look fantastic and also have a different kind of feel to them than just like our deciduous type that we have. I love Magnolias because they kind of, they, can, they feel like half tropical sometimes. 
Yeah. Especially the big leaf ones. And their um, smell is and so tropical. So I was like, oh, Spider Magnolia would be really good here. But I'm like, I don't know. It's a street and there's trolley. We can't do it. But I, I dream. You know, um, <laughs> the um, Magnolia virginiana mm-hmm. subspecies Vernalis. Uh, uh, no, uh, Australis, excuse me, Australis, okay. is um, evergreen. Yeah. So, the, you know, that's a really good one, you know, for a, a triangle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Where you, can, where you can actually plant one and even if it becomes multi-stemmed, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but when I was in Tuscany, I could not believe all the street trees that were Southern Magnolia. Amazing. Oh, and they can tolerate the heat. It's getting very hot in Philadelphia. I'm like, I really want more Southern Magnolia. <laughs> more Southern species. So and they smell so good. And they're shiny. And they're evergreen. So, yeah. Well, um, if not as a street tree on our parcels of uh, unused land, you know, one thing that just jumped into my head at the end of this conversation is we need to rebrand the term vacant lot and put a better mm-hmm. spin on it. Because it's a resource. It's just a nice... 15 by 80 piece of land Mm -hmm. and you could plant a Southern Magnolia on that lot and all the others and make this uh, a very fragrant city in the spring in a good way. Yeah. Why don't we rebrand it then? Let's call them uh, potential opportunity lots. Opportunity. Oh, that's a good one. Opportunity (laughs) lots. There you go. Opportunity lots, love it. Or land of opportunity. It's land of of opportunity, that's great. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate your knowledge and your your enthusiasm and what you're doing for the community. And of course, your children who are gonna grow (laughs) up and and be be, uh, models too because of what they're learning from you and your husband. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great. Thanks, Marissa. See you all in person in real life soon. Keep us in mind. Invite us out. We'd love to. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.